Turn with me to Psalm 34.4, and I want to talk to you about freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. Psalm 34, beginning at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. It doesn't say good times. It says all the time. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. The fourth verse of Psalm 34 is by far one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and it had become early on my foundational verse. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. If you were to guess at what all means in Hebrew, what would you think it means? Not some, not most, not much, but all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. All his troubles. Don't ever listen to any preacher that tells you that Christians don't have troubles. We have plenty. But the good news is that God saves us, Christ saves us out of them all. Eventually, one way or the other. This is another favorite verse of mine, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. And here we have a very practical suggestion. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't get this from theory. You've got to taste it. We'll talk about that today. That's what this message is about, how to find freedom from fear. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. No want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And I would suggest to you today, when you go home, that you would read this psalm all the way through. It's one of the greatest psalms, at least with respect to promises, statements of promises, that God makes to those who seek after him diligently. But as I speak to you about freedom from fear, I would like to begin by telling you the story, the true story, of a young woman by the name of Danielle Goldberg. About 11 years ago, 26-year-old Danielle Goldberg was on her way home to her apartment complex on Staten Island. She went into her building, pushed the button for the elevator, as some of us grew up with that and we're used to that. Got on the elevator. While she was midway between the lobby and the sixth floor, somewhere in there, the entire neighborhood went into a blackout. And so here's this 26-year-old young, young woman caught in between floors in the complete darkness of that small confined space and she did what I believe many would do in that instance is she began to panic. She tried to get her mom on the cell phone but for some reason the call either did not go through or it was incidental at that point in time because the panic attack that she had was so severe that by the time they got her to the hospital she had passed away. Panic attack. Now It's not precisely true that she died from the panic attack. What happened was she had a congenital heart defect and the rapid beating of the heart, whatever the defect was, uh, a valve, irregular valve, whatever it was, 
threw her into a condition that was obviously beyond remedy. She passed away. She died. And it could be said that what actually killed Danielle Goldberg, 26 years old, she would have only been 37 today, still a very young woman, was fear. Granted, she had a congenital defect of the heart, but it was this incident and the panic and the rapid beating of the heart that exacerbated it to the point that it actually caused her to pass away. And the question then is this, can fear actually kill somebody? And it can. Dr. S.I. McMillan, who wrote the book, None of These Diseases, tells a story in his book of a trip that he and his wife and his daughter took to Canada in the woods there just to relax in a cabin. And the first night that he was there, he and his daughter, his young daughter at the time, went out into the Matawan River and the rapids that are there to fish for something to eat for supper. And it just so happened that the wife stayed there in the cabin. Husband said, we'll, we'll be back in a little while, but they didn't come back, at least not at the time appointed. And so hour after hour went by, it was well past dark, and her husband and her young daughter just never returned. And so she began to feel this panic, as again, anybody would, it's just natural. But then she remembered this verse that I read to you. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. She was able to calm herself, knowing, as Dr. McMillan records in his book, how many times throughout their travels in missionary and medical missionary work throughout the world, that prayer had delivered them. God had delivered them through prayer. So she kept reciting this verse. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. And all of a sudden, you hear this little voice coming through the woods. Mommy, Daddy let me off at the serene, the calm part of the river to come back to you, but he still had not returned. And she prayed, and she made this, as I have in my life, a foundational verse. And it was no surprise, I suppose, at the end of that, that her husband came home safely. This second incidence of... Dr. McMillan, his wife, his daughter, there in Canadian woods, Matawan River, is an example of something that we all go through in life. Just the ordinary circumstances of life that bring on this condition of fear because it's natural. It's something that everybody experiences. But here's the thing. Through Christ, we have the, I want to say ability, we do have the ability but it's more the potential than it is the ability, because if we don't act on this, then the promise of God is of no effect. And we have the potential to be free from all fears, but that does not mean that those fears will not come. They come, and they come frequently. And sometimes the more that you try to deliver yourself from fear, it seems that they come more rapidly and in more number. And especially if you've suffered from anxiety and so forth, I could lean depression as well. For many, many years. And so the potential to be free from fear is there. But as I'll mention to you near the end of this message, the only way to overcome fear is to face it, just to stare it down in the face and say, you will not, whatever the circumstance may be, you will not make me afraid. I will conquer you. I will not stand for your abuse and so on. Can fear kill a person? Yes, it can. And we have this here, fear defined as an unpleasant feeling triggered by the perception of danger, real or imagined. 
Now, fear comes in two ways. Here is a real situation. Dr. McMillan was one. Daniel Goldberg was another. There were real situations. But then we have over here something that just comes on us seemingly out of nowhere. And again, if you've suffered from anxiety or depression, you'll know what I'm talking about. Just out of nowhere. There's nothing going on in the external environment that should produce this unpleasant feeling that is based on the perception of a danger. Synonyms for fear, dread, fright, alarm, panic, terror, trepidation, a type of painful agitation in the presence or anticipation of danger. This definition here says fear is the most general term and implies anxiety and usually loss of courage. Now, I spoke to you briefly a few weeks ago about courage being one of the virtues that have been around since ancient of times. And if there was nothing perceived as being dangerous, whether internal or external, then we wouldn't need courage. You only need courage when there's something you need to conquer and usually something you're afraid of. That's when we apply courage. Otherwise, there's no need to apply courage. There's no need to go to the Lord and seek him. You know, God is very, very wise. He knows how to create circumstances for us. One of them is that he just lets us do whatever we want. We mess it up. We get ourselves in a hole, and there's a either perceived or a real actual danger. And then what do we do? And we begin to pray, oh, God, what's going on? Oh, God, will help me, which is fine. And then there's just life in general. And let us be cautious to say that our life is harder than anybody's has ever been throughout history. Just study history briefly, and you'll see that what we're experiencing now, with certain exceptions, as I always bring them to you, is pretty common. Even as I mentioned in just a moment, the fear of young people, the fear of middle-aged people, and the fears, plural, of older people are pretty much the same fears, with some variation. But just to accent this, can fear actually kill you? Again, Dr. McMillan in his book writes about stress. I mentioned this to you last week. In real life, stress overload often precedes coronary death. Now, Dr. McMillan was a medical doctor. Stress in real life often precedes coronary death. A study was done of 119 apparently healthy men who died suddenly of heart attacks. Over the year prior to their death, these men ignored the screeching tires of stress. In the quarter before they died, their stress level had nearly tripled, unfortunately, they never gave, or never had, rather, a second chance to deal with stress differently. The first warning signal they got was sudden death, like burned-out tires at Daytona. Their hearts simply blew out. Now, I've told you this last week, and I've told you it before, but I want to say it to you again. I have had open-heart surgery. Every single doctor that I have spoken to since that time or after always says one thing, genetics. I have my doubts, and through the research in the years since, read from Harvard and many other places not to be quoted today, that I've come to the conclusion, and I have had that conclusion more intuitively than I can now cite scholarly reviews and scholarly articles and books from some of the world's leading experts, that stress is the common denominator you find in most cases. In 2008, when I underwent uh, open-heart surgery, I asked my doctor, I said, the surgeon asked me, do you have any questions? I said, yes, just one, why me? I played by the rules, you know, eating and exercising, and of course, I got the Bible and prayer. I didn't even go into that. And he just shrugged his shoulders, genetics. Sometime I'll share with you 
the studies done at Harvard and other places that are now proving that we can actually affect our genetics or genetic predisposition. And that's coming from a worldly, let's say, secular perspective. And here's the thing. How much more, if that's true, that the average person without Christ can do these things, how much more can we do with Christ? Freedom from fear for some may be just simply a theory or a nice thing to say or to have these shirts. They used to have them, no fear. I would laugh every time I would see that because I'm experienced with this. And I just laugh, you know, not so much laughing at the person, but at the idea. Because mostly those people put up the same thing that we do. We put up a scripture verse in our houses. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me, delivered me from all my fears. When all the, the truth of it is all our life, we're being dominated by fear. You have to really want, and you have to want it bad, to be so free from fear that it is evident when people see you and meet you that you are free. As Jesus said, you are free indeed. We need to see the scriptures and the power of the scriptures in our lives now. Because as I've said to you again over the years, once we arrive at heaven's gates, we won't need to be healed. We'll be healed. We won't need to be free from fear because right there in front of us is the face of God. We need it now. We need to know the power of God now. And you've got to want it bad. You've got to want to be so free that you're willing to do anything and pay any cost on your end to be free from fear. Please do not read the scriptures as some philosophical theory. You are not a philosopher and neither was Christ and neither is God. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Freedom from fear is a possibility for the Christian who will take God at his word and come to him and say, I'm tired of the anxiety. I'm tired of these things. God, I'm going to seek you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And you on your end, God, will fulfill your promise. And you will deliver me from all my fears. And in my way of thinking, I think someone who can actually exhibit the attributes promised to us by our new birth in Christ is a much better advertisement than someone who's speaking in theory. I never wanted a theory when I came to Christ. I wanted to see with my own eyes the power of God and the freedom from fear. And I found it. I found it, but it's been a long, hard road. And just when you think you have it beaten, here comes a hundred more fears in the stillness of the night when you're starting to just fall into the twilight zone before you fall asleep. And it rushes to your mind, and the devil is there egging on all these fears. Some of them are old, some of them are new, some of them came off the news, the media, and saying to you that you're defeated. But we are not defeated. We must want it bad enough to pay the price to face our fears, take God at his word, and be able to say in truth, I know what that verse means, because I sought the Lord. In my case, it's almost 45 years ago. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. So let me just share with you what people fear, what people are afraid of. Young people, middle-aged people, and seniors, you would be, maybe you wouldn't be so surprised. Some would be surprised. They're pretty much the same fears. The economy, money, people liking them. We know that's true when we were younger and others that are younger. Peer pressure, wanting to be accepted. But that, you know, many of these fears just never go away. They just transform into a different um, era of our lives. I like to be loved by people or I love to be liked by people. But it doesn't always work out that way. 
And you know, the Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare. If you can live with a clear conscience, then do whatever you want to do. I mean whatever you want to do in the confines of what the Bible says not to do. Then you're free to do whatever you want to do. Because no one's holding you back anymore and God himself is validating it, saying, go ahead. Go ahead. Reminds me of the time I was preaching in Harlem, a small black church. I don't know what my message was that night, but every time I said something, this older woman in the church would just stand up and say, go ahead, young man. <laughs> then she'd sit down and I'd say something. She'd say, go ahead, young man. There are people that are receptive to the truth. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Among the many things that you would imagine you could guess for yourself without me going through the list that young people fear, here's an interesting one that is new. This article says, according to a study in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, we are now seeing children and adolescents with higher rates of depression and anxiety resulting from the required isolation and loneliness of COVID-19. And by the way, this is now the year 21. Is it going to be 2030 before COVID-19 transforms into the relative year? This has resulted in kids acting out, and in more extreme cases, suicides or attempted suicides. Right or wrong, whatever your opinion is, I uh, don't give it much thought myself. The fact is that young people are extremely affected in some cases by this isolation, this lockdown. And I want to remind you not to use the word lockdown. Isolation, uh, well, I guess, yeah, quarantine, that's more medically uh, oriented. But lockdown is a term used for inmates. And we are Americans. We are not inmates. We are not inmates. Now look it up. Do the history of the etymology of the word lockdown. I don't care for it. I don't use it. Quarantine. I use the word self-quarantine. In any case, now we have young people facing all types of fears that are average from the beginning of time that really affect their lives and their choices. And now we have added burdens such as COVID-19. Middle-aged people. And by the way, what is middle age? Somebody referred to me as middle-aged, and I said, well, that's good news, because that means I'm going to live to be, what, 132, 133? Researchers are learning, this article says, that anxiety can look different at different ages, and that age needs to be factored into treatment decisions. Does anxiety get worse with age? Well, this article goes on to say, anxiety disorders don't necessarily get worse with age, but the number of people suffering from anxiety changes across the lifespan. What it's saying is that as you get older, you're more likely to have anxiety or fear. Anxiety becomes more common with older age and is most common among middle-aged adults. This may be due to a number of factors, this article says. Changes in the brain and nervous system as we age and being more likely to experience stressful life events that can trigger anxiety. And the types of anxiety that people face also may vary with age. For example, phobias are more common in children. Panic disorder is more common in middle-aged adults, and older adults are more likely to experience generalized anxiety disorder. But most of this you can figure out on your own. Most of this, certainly you can research it. Anxiety coming from stressful events, whether actual or perceived, bring the thought of I'm in danger, can take your life at a premature age. Christ came to set us free. And if that freedom was to be physical, then he would have did it from the moment 
that he started making converts and disciples in Rome. But not only did many of them remain in Rome, some of them died in Rome, but they were free. The verse that I like to quote to you so often from 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, was written at Paul's last uh, epistle. You know that he suffered much prior to that, and now he's writing his last letter, and he knows it's his last letter. And he's telling young Timothy, a young pastor, that God has not given unto us the spirit of fear. What has he given to us? Power, love, and a sound mind. <laughs> As I like to say all the time, because there's always somebody, some critic watching. They think that we're the fools, and we're not, and we're not. I sought the Lord, not Freud. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Well, we're not the fools, but here it is. You know, how bad do you really want to be free from fear? As I just told you, think of it as a perennial enemy. Enemies that come back upon you year after year to attack you. And we kind of just eke our way through things, just kind of barely make it. Yet God says, Jesus said, that he came to set us free. And ye shall know the truth. That's not an academic knowledge, and that's not a theoretical knowledge, and that's not just a verse that we can quote, but to know it in experience, to really know it. I want to say this again. I don't know why. Why would you sign on for any religion that's just in theory? That's actually not doing anything for you. I didn't, and I won't. Theory, you can get any place. I wanted to see with my own eyes the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And God is so good that he never ceases to remind me, even in moments when I'm tempted to be discouraged, to go through and review with me all the times that he showed up. When other people said he's not going to show up, and he showed up. This very building that you're sitting in 15, almost 16 years ago now, people were saying in the quietness when you weren't around and quiet whispers, they're not going to make it. And some were hoping that Pastor Ray wouldn't make it. But I made it. And you made it. When we were sitting on hollow metal chairs, when we didn't have anything at all except the building, which was leaky and everything else, when some came and paid the visit and said, ooh, I don't know, you know. And they went to some comfortable place where it was all fixed up. But God always came through. The man who held the mortgage on this building actually admitted to us, he's a Christian. He said, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't think you guys could do it. But we did it. Amen. Well, God did it. Because God will show up. But here's the condition. You have not because you ask not. You like to say, oh, I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Because it does bring a, a little moment of, of comfort, a little bit of comfort. But then you just go right back at the same pattern of thinking, the same pattern of behavior. I say to you, you've got to want to be free from fear. And God will always be faithful. But in essence, he's waiting for us to make the first move. And what is the first move when it comes to overcoming your fears? You have to face them. You have to purposely seek out those things that are making you afraid. Find them and say to yourself, I am not going to be dominated by this fear any longer. Let me give you an example. When I was a teen, you know, the image was the rough and tough guy. And I was rough and I was tough in most instances. But you know, I still had a lingering fear of the dark from a child. One night I sat in bed. I think I was, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. I said, this is ridiculous. I marched out 
to the middle of the living room. I made sure that every light was off, and I stood there for as long as it took, I don't know how long it was, to say, I will not live like this anymore. And that night, the death of fear of the dark took place. Well, you say, that's silly. To you, maybe. But when you've got an image to uphold, you can't tell people I'm afraid of the dark. <laughs> so you have to overcome it. You've got to be able to walk in the darkness. And certainly we're in a spiritual, metaphorically speaking, a spiritual darkness that we're walking in right now. And we cannot walk by what we see and what we smell and what we sense and what we feel. We must walk by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which he recorded in a book that we're supposed to be reading. Not as a theory, as a promise being held out. Says, so you really want to be free from fear? You say, yeah, sure. As long as it's a quick little prayer. And sometimes that does work. Sometimes God says, okay, come with me. And he brings you right face to face with your greatest fears. Now he says, get in there and beat it. <laughs> you say, me? Beat it? You know, when I was trained as a fighter as a young kid in the providence of God, I never fought some of my own age. I started when I was 15. My trainer always brought in ex-professionals, retired professionals. That means they were in their 40s who beat the mess out of me every single time in the ring. Yeah, it was a good way and, uh, to learn because every time I got smacked and hit and he'd come back to the corner, he would always whisper in my ear, you're getting an education. <laughs> then he'd bring in someone that was closer to my age. That was Golden Glove Champ three times. I'm just starting out. And then his twin brother, or his brother anyway, who was also Golden Glove Champ. And uh, so many of those times, you know, I got a lot of powerful lessons from pain. But it instilled in me at a young age that I didn't have to be afraid of an adult, of a man, of an iron worker who I knocked out accidentally, but I knocked him out. <laughs> big, burly iron worker. He had a goatee back when goatees weren't in fashion. Big, big man. He was a man. I was 15 years old. And my trainer says, okay, you guys are going to spar tonight. And was I scared? <laughs> You better believe I was. You know, General Patton once said, if being courageous means being without fear, then I've never met a courageous man, woman. Well, he put me in, and this guy began to beat me about the head with no mercy. He had every intention of knocking me out. Well, here's a lesson for you. From constant training, I used to practice hours a day on the heavy bag, just constantly going, constantly going. Somehow, intuitively, as he was coming in to one more, my trainer already had the smelling salts <laughs> opened up. It was a given. I was going to get knocked out. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy just literally disappeared like the rapture. <laughs> I couldn't see him until I realized he was on the floor, out. I still didn't know what happened. I thought maybe he got shot. <laughs> and what happened was from constantly practicing, boom, I hit him with a, an uppercut, caught him right on the chin and knocked them flat out. To this day, that's one of the crowning achievements of my life. <laughs> this big, burly, bad, Bronx, iron worker gonna knock out the kid, Pop! The giant you know about with David. How is this done? Well, mine happened to be luck in the first case, but I'm talking today about faith. The fact that you're gonna face fear, eyeball to eyeball, and say to it, whatever it may be, I will not have you dominate my life anymore. For instance, in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, Asa the king, beautiful verse. Asa cried, now he's, he's surrounded by the enemy, definitely outnumbered. Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power, meaning you have no armies. It's nothing for you to help and to give us victory, whether we have 
a lot. We have nothing, and we're overwhelmed by the enemy. With you, it is nothing to speak the word and give us the victory. Oh, Lord, our God, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. Oh, Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee, and God gave them the victory. They were outnumbered. Reminds me of the Spartans, a city-state in Greece, as you know. From the moment you were born, you were trained to be a warrior, trained to endure hardness, did all types of things, as some of you are aware of this. They did all types of things to constantly train themselves, all the time, preparing themselves for war, so that when someone came to the Spartans or the city of Sparta and says, the enemy is here, they never said how many. They only said where. It is estimated today that one Spartan soldier was worth three to four regular soldiers in any other army. Imagine that. Imagine being so strong that you were four other men. They didn't ever say how many. Certainly they weren't Christians. They were Greeks. They never said how many. They simply said where. And they were good to go. And if that can happen in the natural, where are we now? With God Almighty. That's what Asa was praying. He didn't say we can do it. He said, you can do it. And then they went out. See, that's the secret. It's not saying, you can do it, Lord. Turn off the TV and whatever. You have to go out and face it. Here's another example, another favorite of mine. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, Jonathan and his armor bearer. There's just two people, a host of the Philistines. They're outnumbered. What are they going to do? And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So now we have a principle that God at any moment can do whatever he wants to do, but he always waits for his people. He waits for man to say, here I am. Now, God, you'll go to work. But as long as we stay behind the line, then we are constantly under the bondage of this thing called anxiety or fear, whether it's real or imagined. And all our lifetimes, we're held in bondage by fear. You realize in the book of Hebrews, it says that the resurrection of Christ was designed for this end, obviously to forgive our sins and bring us to glory. But as I said, you won't have to worry about anything up there. There are no thieves. There are no murderers. And there's no media. I don't know what's on television, if they have televisions in heaven, but I know it's not one thing. People who are trying to make money off your misery to amp you up. Well, anyway, we need it now. And the only way that we can possibly overcome fear is to face it and prove that we can do it through Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But you have to face your fears. You've got to challenge them. I'm not so much afraid of death, but let's say I was. Then what I would do, this is an example. What I would do is I would get one of my lawn chairs and find a cemetery nearby where I could just sit for hours and look at the tombstones. Put my name on one. Now, that's not my particular fear, but if it was, that's what I would do. I keep saying to myself every single day, oh, death, you're not going to dominate me because now I need to finish what I said in Hebrews. It says that Jesus came and was resurrected so that he might free all of those who were all their lifetime held in bondage by the fear of death. It's a paraphrase. Are you afraid to die? Then you really don't believe what you're reading. Easter Sunday is just another day to get dressed up or whatever people do nowadays. And that's not why Jesus came. He came to free us from the fear of death, from the fear of life, which I think is even more difficult than the fear of death. 
that we would not be afraid to live. And I don't mean just improving your tennis game. I mean actually facing down those things that have held you in bondage, in your mind, in, in life, or whatever it may be. He's not given unto us the spirit of fear. And it is not a theory that you can be free from fear. It is a reality, but you must cross the line and say, today, I'm going to begin a new life of facing my fears, because most of us have them in plural. Number one, face your fears. Number two, prayer. Last night, seemingly out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this sense of peace just came through me. Whenever I feel that, it's just like somebody's lifting me up by my arms. But all of a sudden, I realize I'm not alone. But I have learned through experience that that's at a moment someone's praying for me. And all I can say was just thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I got to go to work tomorrow. Not that I don't work every other day. I do. But all the chaos that we have inside the church, outside the church, it's a challenge. It's a great temptation to quit. And I keep saying to myself, no, not me. Mm -mm. I'm not quitting. I ain't backing down. I'm going to overcome it in the name of Jesus Christ. Overcome it. Prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, casting in the Greek is balo. It means to throw it, to hurl something. Most times when I've done that, it's something I'm just disgusted at, to throw it. But I can't help but thinking of the one sport I do not excel at is fishing. And the reason I don't excel is not that I can't figure out where fish are and what they're doing and all that. I just can't find the time to... Go walk up and down the shore, walk up and down the shore. I'm, no. I, I, how I fish is I take my Bible and I cast it in. That's why my kids never took it up because, Dad, this isn't fun. It's okay, just throw the pole in the water. And I would just read my Bible. And if they bite, they bite. And if they don't, they don't. Now, I know that you, some of you really like fishing. That's fine with me. And my dad was an absolute fanatic for golf. And I keep saying, but doesn't it move? I mean, is there something intense we can do? sweating in the sun and then buckets of bowls. Again, many of you are golfers. Some of you are golfers. That's fine. It's a great sport, I think. But I like something intense. Yeah, I still do. My workouts are intense. In any case, more things are accomplished through real prayer from someone who is truly believing that as I'm praying now, I am receiving. Believing and receiving, thanking the Lord. And in that place... We go beyond the natural, what people can actually do without God. I mean, without acknowledging God. God puts into us these marvelous things, including the body, which is a marvelous machine. And then we go into the place where man cannot calculate that in. Sometimes it's unreasonable. Sometimes it defies logic. When God sticks his hand from eternity into time, that you can't factor that in other than what we have here in the scriptures. It changes something. Your brother, look at the change in him from the first night that we talked. Right? This and that and the other thing. We had a little talk. Matthew 21, 21. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything. Now he's up. He's cleaning the house. It wasn't supposed to end up that way, was it? I was praying for him again last night. Because, you know, we got to keep up on these things. The devil will return. In any case, a believing prayer can deliver you from all your fears. And certainly it's going to give you the courage to face them when you have to. I used to teach a course years ago down in the Bronx on how to study the Bible. And I used to tell the students that one of the greatest secrets I've ever learned to just bringing peace and at the same time really learning the scriptures is what I would call M&Ms, meditation and memorization. And you stay with one verse or two and you just commit yourself to memorizing that and you just sit there and you go over it again and again and again. 
Now, why do that? Joshua chapter 1. Remember, Joshua has got to fill some pretty big sandals. He's going to take the place of Moses. And you know what? In pastors like this one here, where I've had a very long tenure, the next guy that comes in won't do so well statistically. And the reason is because he's always compared to the other guy, and Pastor Ray wouldn't do that, and Pastor Ray wouldn't do this, and the second guy doesn't do so well statistically. And so Joshua has got a big challenge. He's got to take the place of Moses. But God says to him in Joshua chapter 1, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and have a good courage. Now let me just show you something here. That would not have needed to be said if the temptation did not exist in the future for him to be fearful and cowardly. But God says to him, You be strong and have a good courage. For unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Remember, you don't need courage when there's no fear. You need courage when there is something there. Be very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. There's the catch which my servant Moses commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, not just morning devotions or an evening devotion or here or there, day and night, thinking on the scriptures, letting this internal dialogue not be something you just make up and not simply having a mantra, but having the word of God in your heart so you're meditating on it all the time. The book of the law, or this book of the law, rather, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. In other words, we have to be obedient. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Amen. Have not I commanded thee? See how God is reiterating it over and over again? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Because the temptation was there on more than one occasion to be afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Amen. For us today, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And always, which really is always, means always. Always. Well, you can't see him. But guess what? Israel couldn't see God either. We read about Moses. That was one exception to the rule. When Moses came down off of the mountain, they said to him, now you speak to us. Well, listen, but don't let God speak to us because there's thunder and there's lightning and it's not good, Moses. But you talk to us. You talk to us. Number one, face your fear. Find it. Hunt it down. When you walk through life, by the way, walk like you are the hunter, not the prey. I grew up, as you know, born and raised in the New York City area, South Yonkers in particular. And if you walk like you're the prey, you will be the prey. Walk like you're the hunter. Face your fears. Pray and take your M&Ms. For all of you diabetics, the good news is these are sugar-free. <laughs> Meditate, memorize, and be courageous. Face it down. Fourthly, fellowship with faithful brethren. I accent the word faithful. I like to substitute the word courageous. Positive. But I don't mean positive. I mean faith-filled people. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, verse 1. And the other side of that coin of finding real people of faith 
is distancing yourself from toxic people. Now, don't raise your hand because somehow somebody may find out you raised your hand, and it could be in your family or someplace where you work. But how many of you have toxic people in your life somehow? You can't get rid of them. You work with them, whatever. Did I just say not raise your hand? Okay. Give me some, blink your eyes. Give me some indication. We all have them. People who like to grouse, constantly complaining, and it saps you of your energy. Listen to this. This is from an article in a magazine, and it says complaining is contagious. Now, we know that COVID is contagious. The common cold is contagious. The flu is contagious. Malaria is contagious. There's a lot of contagions out there, but sometimes we don't see that the state of a person's mind is contagious. And this article says complaining is contagious. It goes on to say there are numerous scientific studies showing that we tend to copy those around us when talking and interacting with them including their tone of voice, emotion, and body posture. Remember that negativity is contagious, and the more you spread it, the more people will catch it. But here's the thing. Faith is equally contagious. I went to see a young man preach one time who was raised in, well, I say this church, but when we were up on the hill. Young man decided God called him into the ministry. And they used to have this, it wasn't a contest really, it was just a kind of a way for these young people to, to see, you know, give them experience in the Pope. But anyway, they would judge them and whatever. So okay, I'll be there. And I was watching him. And the, really, the thing that really set me back is that that was me. He had the inflection of my voice. He had the same tone, the mannerisms from the pulpit, everything. At first, I was taken back just a little bit. But then I remembered that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. This young man was trying to imitate his pastor. And we have the choice. If you understand this truth, and I hope that you do, complaining is contagious. It's vexing. It can drive you out of your mind. Okay, once that's okay. And in my business, I have to listen to this. But I actually like working with people who have problems. I really do. I, I truly do. And we employ a strategy. We come up with a strategy. And then we work on the strategy. Sometimes we have to change a little bit. But, you know, one step at a time to make progress, I'm good. But the whining and the complaining day after day after day until you realize and you listen to yourself talk, it's changing you for the worse. And so we have to be careful. We understand that complaining is contagious, but so is faith. And if you will face your fears and pray and meditate and memorize and so on and so forth, what will come out of your mouth will be faith-filled words that will affect people for the better. Because those that like to grouse, they'll always be around. But for me, and I'm just being honest with you, not everything that I do in life has to do with the pastorate here or working with people even when they email me or what have you. And I will not stay in the presence very long of someone who has no ambition but to ruin my day by their constant complaining, sucking me of the energy. Sometimes I have very little of it on a given day. Do something about it. Change your world. And if you're in Christ, your world has been changed for you. All you have to do is walk in it. But be sure of this, walking in it is not easy. Because that's where the courage comes in. To do the right thing when others are not. If you're the head of your family or whatever it may be, or head of something at work or whatever, to make decisions that are right when people are not going to like it. And that's just life. You can't be a leader or be a boss and say, nobody likes me because the boss is always a jerk. <laughs> you know it's true. 
You've said it yourself. <laughs> oh, my boss is such a jerk. Yet when you're in the position and they give you the position, what you don't know is the very people that you were talking about, the other boss is now saying that you're the jerk. Because it's difficult to be the one that has to make the decisions in life. And equally, it takes courage to step out from the herd of complaining and whining and grousing and say, I'm going to be a man of faith. I'm going to be a woman of faith. And you're going to find that that is a lonely place to be because it's much easier to complain than it is to speak in faith and live in faith and walk in faith. But that's the only way out. And God, in his wisdom and his mercy, has seemed fit to just leave us in a position like my trainer used to do. He didn't put his foot in my back, but he might as well have and say, get in there. These were gorillas, gorillas. I was, well, I wasn't skinny, but I was thin. And I was in the ring with gorillas. One guy whacked me in my stomach. I still feel the pain. And that's 50 years ago. With gorillas, with men, with killers. But I learned a lesson. Nobody knocks me down. Even if the little bit of God's help was there, and I wasn't aware of it, that I can face down men. Because let's face it, a man is just a man. And I found out this too. The bigger they are. Wow. This guy's down. You have got to have the courage, even if others around you are not going to walk in faith, to walk in faith. And you're going to be alone, so get used to it. But in time, you will help more people than just joining in with the crowd. Oh, you know, I don't say much. I think it's time to say something. I really do. It should be obvious it's time to say something. Nobody else is afraid to it. But to confine our remarks to the word of God and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Let me finish with this today. Of all the millions of testimonies and the tens of thousands that are recorded in books and so on, my all-time favorite is the conversion of this drunk and really vindictive, hate-filled, spiteful sea captain called John Newton. Every crew of every ship that he was on as a slave-trading captain hated him. He was a drunk. He was belligerent. He had a godly mother who prayed for his salvation, and he turned away from her advice, turned away from her God. A friend of mine, who I pray is not watching, said, you know, Ray, I resent this, that, and the other thing, and uh, by the way, I resented having all that religion shoved down my throat when I was a kid. In my mind, I'm saying, the only thing shoved down your throat as a kid was Hostess Twinkies. <laughs> no, he's not slim. But I had to let that go. Why are you coming to me? What are you grousing to me for? You don't want to have faith? Don't have faith. I have faith. And then I really don't give a hang what you do with a bunch of hostess Twinkies. Do what you want. God gave you that liberty. But we need to say, God, I'm coming to you. So here's John Newton, and he's just a wicked, awful person raised in the Christian home by a godly mother, goes out to sea, becomes what he became. Then in the odd turn of events, as a slave trading captain, through a series of events, he became a slave. Interesting story. But the man who got him involved in going to sea went out looking for him, having heard about his misfortune, and rescued him. But when he was rescued, just when you think it's all over, a huge storm came up on the sea, and it looked like at any moment they were going to drown at sea anyway. And he writes in his diary, at that moment, I thought to say to God, mercy. Mercy. But then he said, but I didn't think there'd be any mercy for me. After all that he did, all that he had done, all that he was involved in, he said, I, I couldn't find a place in my mind that God would have mercy on me. But we know that God did. 
made him a faithful pastor in England for many years and wrote what I think is the greatest hymn of all time, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, the saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And he played an integral part in the abolition of slavery in England with Mr. Wilberforce. And then eventually he came over here to the United States of America. And that's what God does Amen. with people who step out of the comfort zone. You got to get out of your comfort zone. It's easier to stay under the blankets than to step out and say, today I'm going out to fight again. I'm going to be the Christian version of a Spartan. Not how many. Where are they? So I'm going to the fight. I'm running to it. And I'm not backing down. I'm not going to try to negotiate. It's going right to it. Get right to it. And be able to say when it's all said and done, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Freedom from fear is not just theoretically possible. It's a promise from God. But you've got to step out of the comfort zone. You've got to be the one who says, God, here am I. Let me be that light. Let me be free because it's a win-win. When you're free and you tell people you're free and they can actually see that you're free. They say, uh, this church you go to, where is it? Oh, this is uh, Jesus. What's that all about? We are not religionists. We are filled and touched with the spirit of the living God. And we need, in this hour, to prove it. Amen. Let's go before the Lord. Amen. I wonder how many of you here, as I said in the beginning of this message, prayerfully I'm certain that there are people that needed to hear this message today. And in the midst of all the chaos, which is not going to end, so let's not look at that. There'll be breaks here and there, but it's going to go on. We can stand on the field of battle as redoubtable, unintimidable agents of Christ. It's a win-win. We win, others who take courage from our lives win. So I ask you today, are you ready? Are you ready to take the steps necessary? And they will be difficult, and you mark that. They will be difficult. And at times you're going to feel like you're lonely, and the reason is because you are alone, because others around you are just simply not taking those steps. They just like the verse, and then you watch their lives. They're still bound up by fear. Or will you be the one that says, no, not me, not me. I will not be bound by fear and anxiety and depression and so on. If you're making that commitment, I want to pray for you. And if you're not, I want to pray for you that you will. Oh, I'm too old. I've been this way all my life. Baloney. The reason you're that old and you haven't done it is because 40 years ago you were given the opportunity. You didn't take it. So take it today. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for all those in their hearts that are desiring to be free, totally free from fear. And again, God, not free from the temptation to fear. We all deal with that all of our lives. But to face it down and to refuse to give in. I pray for them, Father that they will be able to testify and stand up and say, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me all my fears. For those who, they lack the courage, oh God, just give them the courage. Touch them. We don't want anybody left out from this. Touch them today and fill them and bless them and encourage them by your spirit. Oh God, we praise you. We thank you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And I believe and I trust right now, God, you're touching many, many people that will be able to testify. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Would you stand with me this morning, please? One of the first things I learned as a Christian, going to a church similar to this one here, 
where people are raising up their hands and saying things and praising the Lord. And there I was. I was interested in the Lord. I had a Bible in my hand. Went there with my girlfriend at the time, who was now my wife. And I'm looking around and saying, I can't do that. Why don't you lift up your hands and praise the Lord? Well, you know, I just say, baloney, you're afraid to. You don't have the courage to do it. That's the truth. That's the real truth. See, because I used to try to convince myself, well, I'm not like these people. You know, I, uh... The truth of it was, when I got home and thought about it, was that I was afraid that someone would see me. Huh. One day, I got up, and I, uh, I guess I overdid it. Because I went into church that morning determined I'm going to overcome my fear of lifting up my hands and praising the Lord. And I must have overdid it. Because I was taken aside by the elders later, and he was saying, wow, you were screaming. And I said, was I? Well, I'm free. Would you just quickly give the Lord a good praise offering? Oh, we bless you, Lord. Bless your name, O oh God. We bless your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the end to that little story is this. I found out when I was praising the Lord, other than the elders, Nobody even noticed because they were all praising the Lord. Amen. Let's go forth in faith and in victory. Amen. Father, we bless you and praise you today. I pray that everyone here will have the shine on them all week long. I pray, Lord, Father God, that you would touch all of my brothers and sisters in Christ today and let them be able to enjoy you and to bless you and glorify you. Give everyone safe traveling mercies on the way home. And I also pray, Lord... Give everyone just the ability to look around and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. amen.